Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Felicia Epstein in memory of her mother, Sheila Epstein. Hello, my name is Felicia Epstein and I'm going to be introducing Masechet Pesachim, the tractate on Pesachim. I work professionally as a lawyer in London, but spent many years learning in yeshiva in Israel and teaching in Israel before moving to London and teaching Jewish texts in London. While I spent a great deal of time focusing on biblical texts and commentaries, both in my learning and teaching, Mishnah has always been one of my favorite Jewish texts to study because it brings together the written and the oral Torah. It has an extraordinary literary structure that delves into important philosophical Jewish questions without getting too focused on the detailed legal ramifications of a particular issue. Finally, it brings the written Torah to life in the practical realm. I'm dedicating this podcast to my mother who passed away on the 3rd of Shvat 5777, the 29th of January 2017. She was not particularly connected to Jewish textual learning, but she was connected to Jewish tradition, especially Pesach, including the minutiae of preparation for Pesach and the Seder night. My family spent Pesach together with my mother throughout the world, enjoying the old customs and new traditions we added to our repertoire over the years, and I will always associate Pesach with time spent with my mother. My mother was not alone in her connection with the Pesach Seder. Many Jews throughout the world may not affiliate with formal Jewish worship or practice, but nevertheless continue to remove chametz, leavened bread, from their homes in preparation for Pesach and enjoy family Pesach Seder with their particular rituals and traditions, which vary widely from community to community. Interestingly, that adherence and commitment to these aspects of the practices of the Pesach ritual and worship are reflected in the Mishnah Pesachim, with its focus on halachot of not eating chametz, banishing chametz from the home, and traditions which still resonate with us today. So let's begin our search for our Pesach, which is what I'm titling this podcast. Both are personal and ritual and communal. The Rambam, in his commentary of the Mishnah, discusses the position of Masachet Pesachim, the Tractate of Pesachim, coming within the Seder of Moed, after Shabbat and Eruvin, which are both connected to Shabbat, explaining that it was placed here because it is the next in the Torah order. We know that Pesach is connected with Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish calendar in the Torah, as discussed at length in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, the tractate on the new year. In addition, Pesach along with Shabbat were the first mitzvot given to Moshe. So it comes in the order in the Torah. We know it's the beginning of the new year after Shabbat. Makes sense. And we also know that it was one of the first mitzvot with Shabbat to be given to Moshe. I would like to add that similar to Shabbat, Pesach in many ways is a social equalizing holiday without emphasis on hierarchy. Now, why is the Masechet called Masechet Pesachim in the plural and not Masechet Pesach in the singular? Some of the commentators say that during the Geonic period, the Masechet Pesachim was actually divided into two parts. The first part was the first to the fourth parak and the tenth parak, which cover the laws of Chametz and Matzah and the Seder Eve. And the second part was the fifth to the ninth prachim, which were about the Korban Pesach. They argue that when they were brought together, they were named in the plural to bring together two parts. 
Other commentators say that it refers to the two Pesachs, Pesach Rishon, the first Pesach, for those who could observe it, and Pesach Sheni, for those who are not able to observe Pesach Rishon because they were not in a pure state to observe Pesach Rishon. It's a long Masechet and has 10 chapters. There are three main issues related to Pesach which are covered in the Masechet. The laws of Chametz and Matzah, laws not permitting Chametz on Pesach, Two, laws of the Paschal Sacrifice, Korban Pesach. And three, the laws of the Eve, the Seder night. Now, in terms of the laws of Hametz and Matzah, those could be divided into three sections broadly as well. The laws of Hametz on Pesach, that it's forbidden to eat Hametz on Pesach. And we learn that from Shemot, the book of Exodus, in chapter 12, Pasuk Tetvav. And it says there, Shivat Yamim Matzot Tochelu, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Howbeit the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that so shall be cut off from Israel. The second issue that's covered is that it's forbidden to reap some benefit from chametz, isur hana'ah. And the third is it's forbidden to leave any chametz in your premises on Pesach, as it says in Exodus as well, in chapter 13, verse 7, it says, And in the English, that would be, Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and there shall be no leavened bread to be seen with thee, neither shall there be leavened bread seen with thee in all of thy borders." Now, there's a repetition there in the Pasuk, which we're not going to address now, but that's addressed by the commentators. Therefore, we get rid of our chametz before the time when it is forbidden to eat chametz. The Masachet does want to understand what the essential meaning of getting rid of chametz is. Surprisingly, it's not obvious that it refers to physically getting rid of chametz. I love this aspect of the oral tradition, that no answer is taken for granted. We must explore a number of possibilities before we reach some consensus, or alternatively, as we see in the oral Torah, the issue is left open for further debate. Here we reach some consensus. The question is, does getting rid of chametz mean just getting rid of chametz in the heart or physically? This again opens the question of what we mean when we are talking about chametz. Are we talking about actual leavened items? Or does it represent something about how one sees and acts in the world? It would not make sense to consider getting rid of chametz in the heart unless it was referring to something more than a physical chametz. There are a number of opinions as to whether it is one or the other. Even though one can fulfill the mitzvah by mentally nullifying the chametz, nevertheless, the rabbis insisted that ideally we must eliminate chametz by seeking it out and destroying it. And from this comes the core obligations of bidikat chametz, the search for chametz. Nowhere else do we find a mitzvah to eliminate a biblically forbidden object from our homes. The halachan's insistence that we leave no chametz remaining is emphasized in the second chapter of this Masechet, in the first Mishnah, where Rabbi Yehuda and the rabbis dispute whether one must incinerate the chametz or is it sufficient to crumble it and throw it into the wind or cast it into the sea. The rabbi's position is developed in terms of the parallel between chametz and Abu Dazara. 
idol worship. Rabbi Yossi requires annihilation by pulverizing and throwing it into the wind or casting it into the sea. As we see, those are the, that's the language repeated in Avodazara in the third chapter of Avodazara, the second Mishnah. So we see a parallel both in terms of the content, but also in terms of the language between Chametz and Avodazara. These first Mishnayot of Masachet Psachim indicate the extreme nature of the requirement to destroy Hametz. The Mishnah insists that we search by lamplight. It is clear that we understand the process of getting rid of Hametz symbolizes a spiritual inspection. This is illustrated in the Mishnah, which describes the fear that, quote, perhaps a rat dragged Hametz from the house to house. But that is answered by stating that if we go down that route, there is no end to the matter. And that is in the first chapter, the second Mishnah. The Masachet is divided into sections. The first three prakim relate broadly to the issues of the laws of forbidden nature of Hametz and Pesach. Chapter four deals with laws forbidding work on Pesach. Chapters 5 to 9 deal with the Korban Pesach, the Paschal Sacrifice, which takes place in the 14th of Nisan. The timing of the Paschal Sacrifice is discussed in detail, including the fact that after the burning of the Chametz, then comes the Paschal Sacrifice. In one of the essential features of the Korban Pesach, it is a requirement to eat it. In this way, it differs from other sacrifices. Chag HaPesach, the festival of the Paschal Lamb, the sacrificial rite of the Paschal Lamb and its consumption was the main feature of the ancient Passover ceremony that ushered in the holiday. This unique ritual included the slaughtering of the lamb on the afternoon of the 14th of Nisan. This was an exception to the general rule that all festival offerings are to be sacrificed on the day of the festival. Furthermore, the lambs were slaughtered by the Israelites privately by each family, and the priests poured the blood on the base of the altar. All other offerings were generally slaughtered by the priests. When the second temple was destroyed in 70 CE, all sacrifices eventually ceased, and only the Samaritans continued to bring the offering in their own community. So we see an example of a sharing of everyone participating in the Pesach offering. The last chapter of the Masechet covers the Seder Pesach. Generally, the Masechet operates in a chronological manner, like Shabbat and Yoma in Seder Moed. The tractate begins with, on the eve of the 14th of Nisan, or La Arba'asar Bodkim Etachametz Laor Haner. And the last chapter ends with, after midnight, the Paschal offering renders the hands unclean, which is, in the Hebrew, HaPesach Achar Chatzot Metameh Etayadayim. I would now like to focus on chapter 10 generally, and then the first Mishnah specifically. As we said earlier, our Masechah begins with the eve of the 14th, and our chapter begins on the 14th. Chapter 10 emphasizes that while the Paschal offering is an essential element of Chag Pesach, there's another framework upon which the Seder is constructed, the four cups of wine. Chapter 10 is divided into three sections around the four cups. The Mishnayot 1 to 3, which is the first cup, Mishnayot 4 to 6, the second cup, and Mishnayot 7 to 9, the third and fourth cups, and the end of the Seder. We also have sections that we read as part of the Haggadah today, which come directly from the Mishnah. Now let's focus on chapter 10, Mishnah 1. Arvei psachim samuch lamincha lo yochal adam ad shetechshach. Ve'afilu anib shebi Yisrael lo yochal ad sheyasev. Ve'lo yivchatu lo me'arbao kosot shel yayin ve'afilu min hatamchui. On the eve of Passover, from close to the time of the afternoon offering, no one must eat until nightfall. Even the poorest person in Israel must not eat on the night of Pesach. 
unless he reclines, and they must give him no fewer than four cups of wine, even if he receives relief from the charity plate. This serves as an introduction to the Seder. It refers to three halachot, not eating prior to nightfall, requirement to recline during the meal, and the fourth cups of wine. There is a structural connection between these parts. Each sentence connects to the sentence before. The first and the second use the language lotochal ad, so it makes a linguistic connection between the first and the second part of the first Mishnah about prohibitions. The second and the third both refer to Anisha Israel, the poor person in Israel. The second and the third sections of that first Mishnah clearly focus on the egalitarian quality of the Seder. All Israel, regardless of their financial or social standing, must partake in the Seder ritual. With king-like rituals of reclining and drinking a good deal of wine, even if one needs to get the funds for the wine from a charity. What about the meaning of the first halacha, not eating prior to nightfall? There are a number of reasons brought for this. One, general prohibition against having a meal on Erev Chag or Shabbat in order not to spoil one's appetite. Two, in order not to spoil one's appetite for eating matzah at night. Three, lest one become involved in eating and fail to bring the korban Pesach. The first Mishnah's focus on eating and drinking. The Seder is most importantly a meal and not a study hall. The framework for the Seder are the cups of wine and the korban Pesach is the focus of the Seder. The Mishnah teaches us that the main biblical mitzvah of the evening, the Korban Pesach, needs to operate within the framework of the rabbinical four cups of wine. The cups form the overriding structure of the Seder. The Seder begins and ends with two cups of wine before the meal and two cups after the meal, with the additional cups of wine different from other festivals to emphasize the special celebration of the Seder with the songs, the study of the Exodus, the symbolic significance of the meal, and the Hallel. The first halacha of the first Mishnah not only ensures that a meal is consumed with hearty appetite, but also highlights the uniqueness of the Korban Pesach, whose consumption is the centerpiece of the Seder of the Second Temple times. Consumption of the Korban Pesach must take place at night because its function is to commemorate, in a way, to reenact the Korban Pesach, consumed during the final hours in Egypt before the Jewish people left Egypt. The second halacha, reclining, emphasizes the significance and the atmosphere of the meal. We are all free people. Each and every Jew is required to partake, irrespective of social or financial status. The third halacha continues the theme of social equality and adds the four cups of wine, the structure of the Seder, which we all need to partake in. This brings me to one of the aspects of Jewish life that I love, as expressed through the Pesach Seder and detailed in the Mishnah, that we continue to live our Jewish life through actively engaging in the past and reenacting that past through the Korban Pesach to help us forge a future based on the principles we hold dearly through the four cups of wine and the reclining nature of our Seder meal. A sense of equality that all are to partake, that we must remember that we are no longer slaves, we are free people, that this must happen in each household. Now back to our title, A Search for Our Pesach. We have discovered remnants of the Jews leaving Egypt as well as the Korban Pesach during Temple times. But we have also found the Pesach that is familiar to us. But more than that, the Pesach of the Mishnah Psachim focuses our attention on a holiday to be celebrated by all in their own home, with an emphasis on the egalitarian nature of the holiday. Like Shabbat, Pesach is an equalizer within the Jewish world. All must equally participate in the preparation of the ritual. 
I hope our focus on this Mishnah of the last chapter has illustrated how the current Seder has developed from the Mishnah. It has also set the foundational elements of our current practices, which emphasize equality and self-reflection. Thank you for listening. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.